Please take a seat. Good morning and uh, welcome again to, to Good Friday here at True North Church. If, uh, if you're new, my name's Phil. I'm one of the pastors here at our church. And today we have the privilege to come together to recognise Jesus, to recognise who he is. You know, there's a wonderful song that we sang uh, at the start of our service today called Oh, Praise the Name. And it was funny, I was listening to that song on the way to, to church this morning and there are two lines in particular that just really captured my heart and soul today. And it's the, 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 when the, the writer of that song talks about death and he says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your sting? And then the angels roar. For Christ our King. I want you to think about that word raw for a moment. Maybe you've ever been to a, a large-scale sporting event and there's a crowd of people and you hear that roar. And it's almost like a roar that you not only hear with your ears, but you feel it in your chest. You know that kind of roar? That's the kind of roar that goes out to our Saviour. The angels come together and say, Christ has the victory. Christ has done it all. And we're invited to be a part of that roar, deep within your chest, deep within your heart, deep within your soul, to say, Jesus is Lord. Amen. You know, this Good Friday, I want to I give you a question to, to wrestle with, and it's simply this. Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you really understand in your heart and in your soul what Christ has done? This question in particular is, is given, in, given to us in John chapter 13 where Jesus poses this question to his disciples uh, after a moment of service around the Last Supper. And we're going to look at that passage in just a moment. But, but this is the question that we need to take hold of today. And in a deep sense, in its full weight, in its full glory, say, Jesus, I want to take hold of what you have done on my behalf. The Gospel writer of John begins the passage I mentioned in this way, in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He knew that the crucifixion was just around the corner. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, to the very end. And I love how the, the gospel writer of John gives us this introduction to what's about to happen. But it's interesting that he references the, the Passover festival. And what Jesus and the disciples were meeting together to do was to celebrate the Passover feast together, which in their culture and in their history was an opportunity to come together to recognize God's provision in who they were as a people. You know, for us, it's, uh, it's probably the closest thing we have, even though we don't particularly celebrate it in Australian culture. But, but something like the Thanksgiving meal, to come together in households as a family, to be thankful. But the Passover meal was specifically around who God was and his provision. To come together in thankfulness and say, God, we recognize everything that you have done. Now, on this Passover meal, on this Last Supper, the provision of God would now be reframed and redefined once and for all around Jesus Christ. By faith in him, through grace, God's provision made freely available to everyone. So they came together to celebrate the meal. 
But as they gathered, a, an interesting problem arises. Now, for, for the first century Jew, when you gather together for a significant meal, one of the things that you'd come to expect is that as you arrived, there would be someone there to perform the task of washing your feet. That as you gathered together, for them, it was part of, you know, literally getting clean before a meal, but also symbolically to share in that meal together. That, that someone would be there with a basin, with a, with a towel on their knees to serve in that way. Now, usually, it would come to, to a servant, and if not a servant, perhaps whoever was least in that gathering would uh, get the desirable job uh, of washing the feet of the honoured guests that had come to the meal. Now, as the disciples gathered for this Passover meal, for this Last Supper, they realised that there was no one set apart among them to perform this task. And you could imagine as they, they looked at one another and they began sizing each other up, who's going to wash the feet? Maybe they began asking the question, okay, there's no servant here, so who is least amongst us that's going to wash the feet of everyone else? Maybe there's some light elbowing. A little bit of pointing, a little bit of that dynamic. And it's interesting, when we lay this passage alongside Luke's account of this same moment, we hear about an argument that, that rises up amongst the disciples about who was greatest amongst them. And I think about those two things coming together, and I wonder perhaps that they're linked, that in this moment where, where they're starting to realize someone, someone needs to wash the feet, and then this argument breaks out about who's greatest amongst us, who's the most worthy of honor, who's the most worthy of recognition. And they have an argument about who among them is the greatest on the eve of the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus quietly watches until finally, perhaps as the argument was still going on, he takes off his outer cloak. He takes a towel, wraps it around his waist, takes a bowl, fills it with water, and then one by one washes the feet of his disciples. Now we have to really understand the gravity of this in their culture. For, for the teacher, for, for the, the, the master to lower himself in this way was unprecedented. It would have been awkward and uncomfortable for all the disciples. It would have been, would have been close to an offense for them that the master would be serving in this way. But nonetheless, Jesus takes the feet of each disciple, washes them, takes the towel, dries them, and goes to the next. Now, when we reflect on this picture, we've got to understand that there's two stories being told. There's the story of Jesus and the disciples in the upper room for the Last Supper. But then there's also the story that we're a part of, the biggest story of redemption and grace in Jesus. And in this moment, we see Jesus modeling the truth that the greatest has become the least. The greatest has become the least. The Gospel writer of John says it this way in verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray, to betray Jesus. Now listen to this key two little words. Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Okay, what did Jesus know in this moment? That the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. 
Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew that his name was above every other name. He knew that he was the divine son of God. He knew that in his essence, he was God. That all things were created by him and through him. That everything held together within him. That he was the name above every other name. Jesus knew that. He knew it with clarity. And then two more key words at the start of verse 4. So he. He knew exactly who he was. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The divine Son of God, no greater name in heaven or on earth, became the absolute least. And remember again this idea of two stories being told. The first story, what the disciples were experiencing and what they understood, that the master had taken on the role of the servant. That in that picture, indeed, the greatest had become the least. But there's a bigger picture that we fit into here, that the greatest God, the creator God, has lowered himself to become the least expressed on the cross. So why did God do it? Why did he choose us? Why did the greatest become the least? And the answer is simple, to meet me at my lowest. To meet me at my lowest. The greatest became the least in order to take hold of me at my worst. There's this picture as as Jesus kneels to the lowest part of his disciples and begins to wash their feet, begins to clean the feet, begins to renew the feet. That the creator God completely emptied himself of his divine power. So he couldn't only come down as a man to look me in the eye, but then he'd go lower again and take hold of what's least in me, what's worst in me, in order to redeem it. The greatest became the least so that he might redeem what is least in each one of us. And when we begin to ask the question, do you understand what he has done? This is the start. This is the start that God lowered himself. You know, the true gospel of Jesus, the true gospel of Jesus is to meet me at my lowest, to redeem me to my greatest. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus is portraying in this moment as he washes the feet of the disciples as a foreshadow of what he would do upon the cross the next day. I'll meet you at your lowest with a heart to see you redeemed to your greatest. So how do we meet Jesus in that place? If we know that's, that's the gospel, That's what we come together today to affirm, to lift up. How do we actually meet Jesus at that lowest part of who we are? That's what he came to redeem, to renew, to restore. How do we meet him there? You know, as we we read this story of the Last Supper, Simon Peter, one of the disciples, he has a particular reaction to Jesus, the master, the teacher, washing his feet. And the story is told like this in verse 6. He, Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? 
He'd seen some of the other disciples and you could imagine there's this growing sense of defiance within him. I'm hoping Jesus is going to wrap this up real soon because he's not getting anywhere near my feet. It's just not going to happen. He said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied. And again, as we hear these replies, we have to think of it in the two lenses. That story and then the biggest story of the gospel that we're a part of. Listen to this. You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about his redemptive sacrifice. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. He wasn't having any, anything of it. He was just like, no, Jesus, this is not going to happen. I, I don't care what, what kind of logic you have. You know, this is a lovely moment, but I will not allow you, my teacher, my master, to get anywhere near that dishonorable part of my life. You're not getting anywhere near my feet. They're dirty. They're smelly. I've been walking all day. I'm not going to let your hands get anywhere near that space. And then Jesus had answered again, read it in these two lenses, the story for the disciples and the biggest story of the gospel we're a part of. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then I love the reaction from Simon Peter. And he says, then, Lord, okay, okay, this got through to him. This got through to him. Obviously, he loved Jesus. And he said, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I kind of imagine him in his enthusiastic response, maybe taking off layers of clothing. Say, Jesus, no, don't just my feet. Okay, you can wash my head, wash my hands, wash whatever you need to wash. Because I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be connected with you. And Jesus, of course, slows things down. Says, hold on, we just need to just need to focus on the feet for now. And Peter says, unless I wash you, sorry, Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now let's think about this in the biggest story that we're a part of. The ministry of Jesus, the gospel, is to take what's least in me, to redeem, to renew. I wonder when we hear that, for whatever set of reasons, do we have a reaction like Peter and say, Jesus, you're not getting anywhere near that space in my heart. You're not getting anywhere near that space in my soul. Maybe for Peter, it was an issue of pride, saying, sure, you can wash the other disciples, but you're not washing my feet. Maybe he thought Jesus was too far above him. Jesus, you're the teacher. You don't want to be dealing with that part of who I am. I'm kind of a mess down there. I don't want your hands getting anywhere near that. I wonder in your life and in your heart towards Jesus, is there something that prevents you from saying, Lord, take me at my worst so that you can redeem me to my greatest? You know, can I speak into two words for a moment? Guilt and shame. Sometimes when we talk about accessing what's least in us, there are two natural emotions that come forward. And that's certainly true of my own life. But here's the thing. When we think about Good Friday, when we think about the gospel, when we think about the victory of the resurrection, and remember that line I mentioned earlier, death, where's that sting gone? It's not there. It's because when we think about what's least in us, those two words, guilt and shame, are no longer a part of the equation. 
that when we think about what is least within us, when I reflect on everything that might separate me from God, those two words no longer apply. Those two words died on the cross. And now the two words that replace them are grace and love. That there is nothing in me that separates me from God. That when I bring what is worst from within me, guilt and shame no longer apply because they've been nailed to the cross. And all that stands in their place is grace and love. And the Heavenly Father looks at you with grace and with love and bows his knee to redeem what is least, what is the worst, what is the lowest, so that you can be your greatest in Christ. Will you welcome his grace? If we're to understand what Jesus has done, we need to welcome his grace in our life. We need to take that part that separates us from God and say, Jesus, okay, you can, you can wash that part of my soul. I give it over to you because I know your heart is to restore, redeem, renew, set free. Welcome his grace. In verse 12, Jesus finishes washing the disciples' feet. And he says this, and it's the question that's framed everything we've spoken about this morning. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand what I have done for you? And the disciples in that moment, probably the answer was no. They understood part of the story. They understood that the master, the greatest among them, had become the servant, and that in that there was a teaching to do that for one another, to be a servant of all, to put ego to the side, to love unconditionally. But there's a bigger story that Jesus is speaking into, which they had come to terms with in the days to follow, experiencing the death and resurrection of Jesus. Do you understand what he has done for you? And simply expressed, he became less so I may become more. He became less, so I may become more. Now remember this last supper, it took place during the Passover meal, which is all about remembering God's provision, recognising it, affirming it, celebrating. And now Jesus at this last supper speaks of a new covenant speaks of a new way of engaging in relationship with God, speaks of understanding grace, of understanding faith in the Son. And he establishes a new covenant. And as the meal continues, he takes bread and he breaks it. And they eat together that bread. He takes a cup, they drink from it. They share in it together. And through that symbolic action, Jesus talks about his own body expressed in the bread, his own blood that would be given expressed in the cup. And he says, God's provision is now found in me. God's provision for your life is now found in me. 
the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians speaks to the church at Corinth about the practice that Jesus instates at this Last Supper. And he says this in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And in our church, like churches all over the world today, we continue in that tradition. We take a small symbol of a cup, a small symbol of a loaf of bread, and together we come together to share a small meal, to recognize, to remember, to affirm who Christ is and what he has done. In the next few moments, we're, we're going to sing some more songs, again, speaking out the truth of who Jesus is. But in the moments to come, I'd invite you to take that question again. Do you understand who Jesus is? More importantly, do you understand what he has done on your behalf? To allow that question to rest on your soul with a bit of weight this morning. Say, Jesus, would you help me to take hold with both hands the height, the length, the width, the depth of what you have done in my soul? And as you do that, we're, we're going to take communion together. And at any point during the next few songs, we've got a bit of space to do this. You're, you're welcome to, to come out of your chairs. We've got tables at the back, at the front, to take the cup, to take the bread, and to take some space to say, Jesus. Help me to see what you've done in my life. And then you can leave the, leave the cup at the table or take it back with you. It can be collected later. And we're going to take a moment together as a church to say, Jesus, would you be here among us? Would we catch the full weight of what you have done? I'm going to invite the team to come back and join us. And I'd love to pray for you. And then after that, the team will lead us and I'd invite you to come and share in communion as we recognize Jesus and what he has done. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that in this moment, your presence would be here in a very real, in a very present way, Lord. God, I pray for each person here today whether they know you, whether they want to know you, Lord God, or whether they're still figuring it all out. Jesus, I pray that you would be present in their soul. I ask that part of that roar, the part of the roar of your victory would come alive in their heart in this moment. Lord, I ask that each one of us would truly understand what you have done that would hold a little bit more of the weight of that Jesus would you come and do a renewing work in each one of us we pray thank you that guilt and shame are nailed to the cross grace, love take its place that's how you see us God and I pray that we would know that this morning
We praise you, God. And be with us in this moment as a church as we share in communion together. Amen. Please stand.